So welcome everyone to the ODD podcast. I'm joined again um, by Krina, who I, I don't mean this disrespectfully to my other guests, but is my favorite guest so far on the ODD podcast. Um, just absolutely fantastic storyteller. And today, uh, Krina is joining us um, from Romania. And <laughs> so we're going international. We're going international again, which is fantastic. Um, and today we're going to talk a little bit more. So just a recap for people who may have listened to the first episode. We spent a lot of time talking about Queen's story to date and how, um, and I'm going to embarrass you here slightly, Queen, but the intellectual ability uh, just led to kind of universities and pushing through adversity and really kind of uh, get, making a success almost against the odds of um, bureaucracy in the UK. But today we're going to take a slightly different look and a slightly di look at a slightly different form of intelligence, which is around what people describe as the gut gut thinking. Um, I know other people like Mal Malcolm Gladwell have talked to things about things like Blink, as well as the tipping point and other bits and pieces about just because something is true, just because you can't logically explain it doesn't make it any less true. It's And so sometimes if we're trying to justify something, we can over-intellectualize it and then we lose we stop listening to our gut and start almost second guessing ourselves, which can form all kinds of sort of neurological patterns, which sometimes are very hard to escape from. So Karina, welcome to the podcast again. It's great to have you here. Thank you so much. Uh, yes, it's been an interesting summer. And as you say, I'm in Romania and I'm, as we speak, looking and trying to calm down my, my newly adopted dog who I intend to transfer to the UK. Let's see how successful this exercise is with a new dog. Well, uh, well <laughs> you never do it the easy way, do you? I think last time you you did something similar, you had lots of small children running around, and so now they're going to try with a dog as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, why not? Fantastic. Um, but I think um, we going. I think I'm going back to 1999. Hmm. Uh, because I was thinking about the uh, the underlying tones and underlying themes of last episode, because we all have our own stories. But the previous episode and, and all the events I recounted for your listeners then were based essentially on two main themes, you know, resilience, but resting on two pillars. One, resting on, shall we say, intellectual exercise and the ability to analyze the situation and come up with with um, alternative paths to try. Mm -hmm. But equally so, um, something that I always call gut feeling. Um, and sometimes we, we take decisions, we take a particular course of action, and only at the end of that exercise, of that action, of that result that we wanted to achieve, we, we go back and we analyze how much of that was based on a rational decision step by step and where was a step taken solely on the basis of I don't know exactly how to explain why I want to go this in this direction but that it's almost like I'm feeling drawn physically mm -hmm. drawn pushed into this particular direction and because of that I thought after the end of that of that of that first episode of another uh, chain of events which was incredibly influential not only for myself, uh, for my future husband, but also for, for Romania, my native country overall. And I'm going to take you back to December of 1989, <laughs> just okay. a few years back. <laughs> Let's get our time machine. <laughs> time machine. Here we go. It was, I was a student. I was in my second year at university. So I was studying control engineering at the top department of engineering in Romania. And I remember that December being a very, very mild December. At that point in time, not so much of, of global warming impact being felt in the winter season. Generally in Romania, winters used to be proper winters, very cold. That December, though, was very mild. My husband and I, we've already been together for, for two years at that point in time. So he was also studying engineering, but he was a part of the military, technical military academy in Bucharest. Mm -hmm. He was training to be a, a, a military aircraft engineer. What that means, it means it was almost like a West Point okay. type of um, yeah. um, um, setup in the sense of gaining his degree but he was on a military basis so for all intents and purposes he was part of the uh, uh, Romanian army um, 
three days, so around, I think it was mid-December, if I'm not mistaken, 17th of December, when we got, um, we, we, we started receiving information and, and news, not through any official channels, but through um, so radio stations like The Voice of America and Free Europe. Mm-hmm. That events were precipitating in, a, in another major university city in Romania called Timisoara, where a civic uprising, something that in my lifetime at the time, so I was what, 20, 21 years old, um, and I believe probably not since the, the 1945, so immediately after the Second World War and actually the communism, being forced onto Romania, nobody has ever uttered civil unrest. Wow. It was never, it never happened. Um, mm. you, you could hear here and there and once every few years about a particular singular name uh, protecting or going on hunger strike. But even that was, I, I, I can only think of two such events. Um, two or three days later, my husband having already been called to hit to the army barracks, I'm going to visit a friend and events precipitate in Bucharest. Uh, Tell us to call the national gathering in the main, um, just in front of one of the main governmental buildings in Bucharest. And that national gathering, when I heard of, of it actually happening, being with my friend on the outskirts of Bucharest, my first hope was, wow, Maybe, maybe, maybe what's happened in Timisoara is going to start happening in Ukraine. But then we receive news that actually was an orchestrated mass demonstration in support of the regime and of Nikolai mm-hmm. Ceausescu. I mean, we, we both despaired. Yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> However, a um, few hours later, different type of, different type of, uh, Change reactions and, and associated news started reaching us, i.e. that initially, initial demonstration in support of Ceausescu became something completely different in, in the sense, completely the opposite. Of course, with, with the benefit of time and a lot more research and a lot more um, truth being, being uncovered since, we now know that the events both in Timisoara and in Bucharest, those two events on the 17th of December and a few days later, um, the old CIA have had a, <laughs> have given a friendly hand. Um, I think oh, Romania, really? yes. Um, mm. Some of the stars that CIA put on their walls for, for their fallen heroes, I think some of those names some of those stars are associated with people who actually lost their lives in Romania during those events. Wow, I didn't realize that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but here I am. All of a sudden, I become trapped in my friend's flat on the outskirts of Bucharest, and we're listening like crazy to every every radio post that we can actually uh, manage to catch. I can't get in touch with my husband. He was my my boyfriend at the time. That was long before the era of of mobile phones. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I know. It, it seems like uh, an impossible, impossible endeavor. Yeah. How on earth do you ever have a relationship <laughs> without mobile phones? But <laughs> so I have no idea where he is. There were all sorts of reports of being, being obviously he was in the army, of being pulled on the street. We knew that people died, people were shot in Timisoara. We knew that events will likely take the same course in Bucharest, and and they did. Um, I have no, I had no idea where he was and what they were doing. And oh my God, that's a complete another whole book uh, of events that what my husband did and what he's seen during those few days. And I'm talking the range spreads from seeing his classmates being shot in the head and dying next to him. My God. From from that to the other end of the spectrum, when he literally guarded foreign mercenaries captured during the conflict. Wow. Who were then who were then magically disappeared to the back doors, 
And then you had the incoming new Romanian president lying to the country saying there were no foreign mercenaries. And my, my own husband and his colleagues saw them, touched them, guarded them. Uh, <laughs> what can I say? Wow. But during that night, so the three of us in that flat, of course, we didn't sleep a wink. Uh, we were trying to, 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 to listen to every radio station with tidbits of information. And I'll never forget around 2 a.m. in the morning, I could hear a rumble. It was December. It was very mild, but still it was 2 a.m. in the morning. So I still opened the balcony and every window and I went to my friends and I said, listen, I think the, these are tanks. I have no idea how I identified the rumbling of Russian tanks from miles away, but it was 2 a.m., it was quiet, and I have a very good hearing. Mm. I said it's a different story, but my hearing, <laughs> very good. And indeed, there were tanks. Um, so that any number... Been, that must have been terrifying, just hearing that at that time of night. It must have just been... Oh, my... That must have been heart-stopping. It, it, it was. Uh, and especially as everyone who ever has a bad dream or suffers with severe anxiety before a significant event in their lives, I think the the um, the shadowy, the, the badly defined danger that often lurks in the middle of the night or early morning is the worst type of danger because our brain Come going back to before we before we were standing up as as mammals, but our brain has been designed to either fight or flight, and that anxiety, that fear, it's pulling you towards flight because you don't know who you're going to fight. So the anxiety and the fear was rising. I didn't know if oh my, my if my my fiance my boyfriend was still alive. I didn't know how many other people, how many hundreds of other people maybe have been shot dead. I had no idea what's going to happen to my to my native town, to my whole country. And I was hearing Russian tanks uh, going into into the town. By five a.m., um, I took a decision, and I call, I called a friend of mine, a university colleague with whom I'm still friends to this day, and I'm the godmother of her son, and who's just visited me in Romania less than a month ago as well. So I call her and I say, hey, what are you doing? <laughs> her reply was, my mom and I, we are making uh, protest signs, <laughs> and we, we're preparing to walk and join whatever happens in town center. And wow. I, said, I said, okay, hold your horses, I'm coming. And I took the underground, and I remember being what staring at the person in front of me. It was quite early in the morning. Everyone was very quiet. Nobody was saying anything. It, but it was almost like I could read what everyone around me was thinking but not saying. Okay. And I, I, I don't go home. I go to my friend's place, <laughs> herself and her mom, of course. But she was right. There were uh, they were writing all sorts of protest signs, and uh, I said to her, "Look, I need to change because, of course, I came from a from a visit attire with high heels and a long coat and elegant practice, right? And I said, "I need leggings and trainers." Mm. So I got dressed, and here we were, the three of us, walking to a town center. I mean, and even just that in itself it's just you know you the fear of the night and then to take that so i suppose were you moving into i suppose you're moving into fight mode like moving towards potential danger rather than moving away from it yeah yeah absolutely but i think uh it wasn't as if it was not something that we were not aware of we were fully aware of in the sense that we knew people were shot people died um but we also knew that it's now or never. So the three of us are walking towards, towards this, uh, on this road that we walked many times, um, going towards town center. And at some point, we we reached this mass of people ahead of us. I We had no idea what was happening ahead. We couldn't see. So I said to my friend, right, follow me. 
I start inching my way, weaving my way through people and using mm-hmm. elbows and whatever else. Um, I suppose within three minutes, I probably lost my friend and her mom because people move. And never mind, I just continued. And all of a sudden, I'm I'm in the front row and then I see what's ahead of me. What was ahead of me were three lines of soldiers with, wow. their, with their Kalashnikovs all in uniform, of course. And then behind them, I could see, I don't remember exactly, it was either one between one and three times. Because they were not, the road wasn't, I don't think it was wide enough. I don't think it could have been more than that. And hence, you know, the, the earlier mention I, I made regarding hearing the rumbling of tanks crawling into town center at two o'clock in the morning, well, maybe one of those was exactly the one I was facing at that point in the morning. And there were people were chanting, and I joined in. Then I have this very, very vivid memory. It literally, I have it almost like it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a film in my mind. With my, with the corner of my left eye, I could see this elderly, really elderly, petite woman. All dressed in black, wearing this, this Eastern European traditional headscarf. How you know you people used to wear in the olden times, and they still do when they go to church on a Sunday. Um, very petite, slightly framed, and must have been. I was a twenty-one-year-old girl. It seemed to me very old. Take a few steps towards the soldiers, and I, I kept. I was mesmerized. I kept looking at her and I kept asking myself, what is she doing? Um, I mean, we were the first line anyway, but why are you still Mm. going into no man's land, which was probably just two, three meters in between us and soldiers? What she did, she, she had one single flower in her hand and she gave that one single flower to the soldier in front of her. And she said a little prayer and she made the sign of the cross. And essentially, essentially saying to the soldier, the soldiers in front of her, in front of us, you are one of us. Mm. You cannot, you cannot kill me, your mother, your grandmother, your friends. You are us. And I, I, I still have an incredibly vivid picture of that, that, that movement of that woman. And then at com- completely opposite polar, op- polar opposite of that event, the, only, the next memory I have is I, I heard an order and then I saw the soldiers arming their guns. And then... The only, the very next sequence was that all of a sudden I was flat on the ground on my tummy uh, with my ears seemingly bursting from the noise of, I don't know how many arms in front of us. There must have been 40, 30 or 40 soldiers from one end of the road to the other. And what I, I had no idea. I, I knew, okay, so I'm not dead, I'm not shot, I don't think so. Um, and then I stood up and I looked around and actually what, what happened was because the mass of people was increasing, the chanting was also getting louder and louder. The soldier received an order to shoot, but to shoot in the air, in their hand. They had blind ammunition because nobody, nobody was killed. Nobody was, I mean, they, they did not aim at us. Hmm. But I didn't know that. As I said, my next memory was I'm flat on the ground. And my ears seem to have burst. Because I've never heard that noise in my life. <laughs> uh, but people regroup and the chanting continues. And we keep, and it could have been two minutes, it could have been two hours. I have no idea how long mm. it would happen. And then what I also, what we hear next is another order. And then we, I mean, it's not that we heard. I think we felt hurt because that when when a tank starts its engine 
and you are less than five meters away, it's not so much the noise, which again is, is something that you've never heard in your life. But your whole body vibrates, your organs vibrate, the, the ground on which you're standing starts moving, shaking a little bit. So all of a sudden, okay, what's going on? The tanks are moving or will be moving. And then the soldiers move on both sides, on one end and the other end. And the tank starts start inching towards us. So everybody scatters, everybody starts running away, myself included. Mm. Um, at one point, this one, one of the tanks took a side road, a fairly narrow side road with cars parked on both sides. And he flattened every car on both sides. Wow. And at one point, it stops. And I have no idea who I was, who I was next to, but all I remember is that someone, a bunch of guys start jumping on the tank itself. And I'm there. I, I, I have no idea where, but I was around and someone stretched their hand and pulls me up. <laughs> so now I'm on top of a Russian tank. And then the next minute, someone hands me a, a Molotov cocktail. I had no idea what it was then. I know now. <laughs> what? <laughs> a bottle of gasoline with a cloth and a lighter in my hand. Okay. <laughs> wow. So that was a crash course on being a revolutionary. <laughs> what do I do with this? Well, luckily or unluckily, I don't know. I had no much no time to, to imagine anything because the very next next thing that I remember happening, the turret of the tank starts moving. And again, if so now I was so naive and lacked so much knowledge, of course, about military matters. And I remember thinking, oh, it's gonna be a while to till the turret or till till the gun itself comes at my my end of the tank. Mm. But I was so wrong. Because it was, it seems to me to be almost instantaneous. It was incredibly fast. And again, I have no memory of how I jumped from the top of that tank and someone pulled me or pushed me over the fence of a house. And I ended up in, in a complete stranger's house with probably 10 or 15 other people. And, and we stayed there until we realized that the tank is not going to fire its gun, or we hope it's not going to fire its gun. And then it, it, the tank disappeared. So the mass, of, the mass of people dispersed um, in different directions. You had people saying, let's go to the television. You had people saying, let's go to one of the main government buildings. Uh, to essentially congregate a much bigger mass protest. Somehow, I ended up going towards the television. Okay. And the idea was that the revolutionary forces, and hey, I was part of one, um, we have to defend the television from the security forces, from the army, because the television was a mean of disinformation. So I go there. And this is where was the more interesting part of whole soul starts happening. And it goes into the what do I do? How do I take the next decision? Is it rational thought or is it instinct? Mm. Um I was at the television, and if you if you do look or read whatever was said and published in newspapers and countless number of books since then, um, exactly where I was, it, it became a bit of a bloodbath. So, um, among with other key sites in Bucharest, there was a congregation of of security forces, mercenaries, at some point, as soon as the dark fell, started shooting at us. Wow. And um, 
Yeah, I um, I saw saw someone being shot, and I crawled. Well, no idea where I was crawling towards, really, because you have no idea. Uh, it, it's such it's such a um, unbelievably weird situation. You have no no cardinal points. You have no idea where the danger is coming from and where is safety. So it's all all with reacting in that moment uh, to the noise, to your instinct, to light and dark. Of course, everybody was listening and and hearing all sorts of wild rumors, all sorts of wild rumors. Mm. But at one point, uh, I remembered that not far from where I was, my father, who was a professor, a university professor in Bucharest, had a friend, had a family friend, and we socialized many, many times. And they lived very close by. And I remember thinking, I haven't had a glass of water since 5 a.m. I need to have something to drink. Hmm. So I somehow, I don't know, crawl, walk, whatever it was, I, I make my way to, to that building. And I, I'm, I enter, I enter the building, and I'm, and I'm taking a few steps towards the elevator because they lived on the top floor. So it was a small block of flats. I think there were only about four apartments on three floors. Um, but it was very dark. There was not a single light in the hallway, and I'm kind of because I knew the building. I'm kind of feeling my way. If I'm touching mm-hmm. the wall inching towards where I kind of remembered was the elevator door, thinking I'm going to press the button and I'm going to have a little light. But as I'm inching closer to that, what I thought it was, uh, the elevator door, I just stopped all of a sudden, rose onto the ground, feeling utterly, um, I mean, scared, does not begin to describe it. I mean, there were many situations on that crazy day that probably I should have felt even more petrified. Mm. Uh, I should have felt absolutely unable to move, to take one step in any direction. And yet I did. All I did the whole day was move <laughs> from from the street on top of the, to the top of Russian tanks and <laughs> fences and ending up in a complete stranger's house. So I, mm. all I saw all day, I was like a shark, continuous movement. And yet, mm. moment, feeling my way on that wall in complete darkness, trying to get the feel of this, this metallic door called the elevator, I just felt so scared, rooted to the ground, and I have never had that feeling before or since, that expression of feeling the, the hairs of your neck standing up. And all of a sudden, I knew that if I took another step, something very bad was going to happen. Wow. And even though I was desperate for water and desperate for a toilet, I just very, very slowly, but consistently and with, with, a, with a consistent pace, facing the dark, so I went out backwards, but I did get out. And I just remember when I stepped out, I remember saying to myself, I have no idea what's over there in the dark, but something very bad is in that dark. Mm. So then I, um, uh, I could I could still hear a lot of um, weapons being fired and people getting shot. And I said, okay, it's time for me to try and walk home if I can make it home. I think by the time I made it home and that night, the reports were coming in early in the morning as well on the night. But in the morning, it became clear that that building where I was trying to get to my friend's top floor apartment. Mm-hmm. Overnight, it was completely destroyed. Really? By, by um, it was fired on by tanks. I mean, I'm talking about heavy artillery, because on top of that building, there was a nest of 
I suppose you can call them sharpshooters. And at some point in the night, they start, or in that evening, or not long after I left, they started shooting again at people in that in that space close to the television. And the uh, the Romanian army who dis- dispatched uh, I don't I'm not that that fluent in it was a battalion or anyway dispatched defending forces by now or by then. The tide was turning against Ceausescu. The army started turning. So they responded in in kind, plus some uh, identified that as a nest of mercenaries. And by morning, that building was half destroyed. I don't think no, nobody ever lived in that. It was It was demolished and rebuilt. Wow. So I genuinely, I have no proof. I have zero proof in terms of proof beyond a reasonable doubt <laughs> so something something it sounds like something almost animalistic you know kind of like you know the the mammal in us all or the the lizard in us all depending on which part of the brain was just told you like that is not a place to be yeah i Get think out. i felt i felt something um to me what i felt it just translated into fear and i just gone Hold in an instant, and I knew that if I if I take another step, something very bad was going to happen. And in hindsight, after I I witnessed what happened during the night and saw what the ruins of that building the next day, I believe that the reason that hallway was so dark when I went in because someone purposely broke the lights, turned off the lights. Um, because people, and I'm using air quotes, mercenaries, terrorists, let's call them using one of these names, were essentially making their way up because it provided some sort of strategic line of sight um, to what they believed to be important. And they were congregating there uh, because within probably two hours, within two hours after I left, they started killing people from that vantage and I think in that, in at the bottom of probably close to the elevator, when when I probably froze, think, feeling petrified, um, someone was there. I have no proof, but that's what I that's what I felt, and I think that's why I left. And I think that's what I would call probably instinct and, and gut feeling. And my gut feeling in that particular situation told me just run this is the time to run away from this point and i did and maybe maybe this is why this is why here we are today Mm. both of us alive talking about this (laughs) it's it's mad it's and i've you know that is a you've like lived through history i mean it's just fantastic hearing because it's lived history it's it's, it's fun you know like you said there's countless books and articles and (laughs) tv shows and all sorts but you know you lived it and it's it, it always amazes me that when you when you when i read about these things i'm a big fan of history when there are these big sort of changes in society it seems to happen very very quickly it feels like it builds and builds and builds and then but then it happens quickly and then but then everyone else who's living through that moment has no choice you know to, to, it was just a tuesday like you said it was a warm december and then suddenly <laughs> there's tanks and, you know, it's, you know, I was supposed to have a hairdresser's appointment today. You know, that, that kind of just, it just completely changes everything. It must just be such a bizarre thing to live through. You look right back at it and think, what the hell happened there? <laughs> <laughs> I think it's, a, it is exactly, it's, it's very, very bizarre. Of course, it's very unusual. I mean, the overwhelming majority of the, of this planet's population does not have a chance to live through that. No, no, you're right. But what I think it's, what I also think is very interesting, um, and I think it's, I'm just putting, I'm just reminding myself of my own mindset at that point in time. Um, Being, well, let's call it so young and full of um, the youth desire to do things, change things, uh, change the world, um the energy 
And it's a, it's not only it's, it's of course it's a physical energy because you go and you do physical stuff and you climb tanks and you jump through over fences and then you're being pulled into the government building and then you run away because it's becoming mayhem there. That's a physical stuff. But mentally, the one thing which I find quite odd thinking back now is that during those crazy hours and those crazy days, mm. I I just I just I just thought this is this is the reality and this is this is the history and this is what we have to do and that's it. I don't think we appreciated precisely, oh my God, this is such a such an important historical moment because at that point in time we we was just a fight and you were and the winner was not not clear. Mm. I didn't know. No nobody around me knew what was gonna happen. Uh, we knew what we wanted to happen, but we had no idea. We could have been all killed that night, and then people next day would have been even more afraid to step foot outside. And and that's you know when you you as I as I said I think before we started the call I've done a bit of reading around um, you know that part of the world it, the amount of things that happened like that exactly like that <laughs> you know it's it's I'm laughing because it's just it boggles my mind how many people were killed during that time you know and that this was the actual one that actually happened and you know was seen all the way through is just you know the bravery of the people who just to, to step out onto the street and just to you know like you said your friend and her mother just to that that kind of just that bravery to do the science and walk out into the street it must just be you know I can't really imagine it. You, you always hope you do the same if you're ever put in that situation. But then for your husband now as well, you know, on almost on the inside, yeah. it must be even more, you know, because you've been told one thing and then suddenly you're in this convicted position. It's, yeah, it's, it's a point. It's a situation. I think everyone would like to think they know how they react, but I don't think anyone would ever know until they've been in that situation. Yeah. And, and I didn't know how I would react. And then I was put in that situation or I put myself in that situation. Um, because I I was uh, convinced. Look, it's it's either now or never, and mm. change has to happen, and it it does require sacrifice. And it's like that old saying: "If not me, who? If not now, when?" Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Wow. So that so that kind of and that, if we just go back to the topic we kind of started with, which is that gut feeling and that instinctive kind of you know you can't justify you can't you can only make sense of it after the fact but at the time you just kind of did it it's it's just so fascinating because i think in when it, when you read some of the literature and all that kind of stuff everything's quite logical everything has to make sense everything has to but then some of the moments in history make no make no sense they make sense after the fact but at the time they make no sense yeah <laughs> it made no sense to me but all i knew was i need to get out of this building right now Something really bad is back there in the dark. I felt almost, I felt that it was almost like I was a prey. And I don't know, let's let's think about, I don't know, a lion or uh, a wolf is literally just watching me through that dark. He can see me, I cannot. But I felt I was, I was, I was for sure like a sitting duck. I was the prey. But I had no intention of sitting there for long, continuing mm. to pray. So yeah, sometimes you have no idea how and why um, you take a particular course of action. Um, now, of course, we can all delude ourselves a little bit and say, "Well, I have no proof." And I, I, someone could say, "I, you persuaded yourself that there's danger at that point in time in that spot," which is fair enough. However, I was from five o'clock in the morning till whatever the time it was for twelve hours because it was dark. So it was being December. It was already dark, so four o'clock, five o'clock, almost twelve hours. But for those for that for those twelve hours, that felt like twelve years in terms of the adrenaline pushing you, in terms of experiencing things that you have never seen, you have never never felt, you have never smelled. Um, it literally felt like twelve years. Mm. The the concentration of uh, of um, 
it was an overload of everything that was based on senses. And it was an overload also in in an intellectual sense, but that was, was a bit rem- remote at that point during those 12 hours because I knew that the history was happening, but I couldn't, I really couldn't have cared less about quote unquote mm. history. Mm. Yeah, I knew that those events are very unusual and God knows what's going to be the outcome. But that was the reason why we were all there because we wanted to speak out. Um, but you don't stop and think. You just you just move. You move. You move. You move. And then, so in a in a in a day which you could say full with danger from beginning, and towards the end, um, I went in on a like completely different level of what I felt in terms of what's the danger in front of me. <laughs> mm. Um, but then I felt a little bit validated in the sense of, as I said, it was a matter of maybe a couple of hours when that building became one of the hottest targets in that part of Bucharest because there was a nest of shooters on top of that building. And those those guys had to go through, They there was only one way in and one way out of that building. Mm. The way in is my way in. Um, and probably that was the reason why also it was so dark on the ground floor. But there you go. Uh, follow the instincts. Um, I made it out alive. <laughs> yeah, so fascinating. It's And it's, yeah, we we're all very glad you made it out alive. <laughs> I have to say that. Yeah. <laughs> I think the world is a better place because because of you know, <laughs> your, your instincts at that point. But it's really interesting because I've, I've got a, a previous um, podcast uh, guest talked about extensionism um can't say the word that philosophy and he talked about how if you're willing to live for something you're willing to die for something yeah it's that that kind of that moment you know yeah he waited a long time for it and if you're willing to live for it then you're willing to die for it and it's it's just such a like most people don't get the they're not you know thankfully so don't get to have to almost live to their limitless capacity you know, where you're living on your instincts and you're doing what you need to do. Um, but it must be a way that, you know, you must have felt after that and through the rest of your life that you've been, you were tested during that time. You were tested to the highest, you know, you're in mortal danger and you were tested and you passed, <laughs> you came through it. And so whatever life must have thrown at you, and, you know, we go back to the episode, the first episode we chatted, those challenges of, you know, getting accepted to university or, um, you know, trying to pretend you weren't pregnant <laughs> by wearing a certain jumper or getting funding approved, that must have just seen, like to most people, that's like, oh my God, how did you do that? Whereas for you, that's what it must have been, well, once you've ridden on the back of a Russian tank. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> it's, it's all about context. And it's all about, you know, your field of expertise. So the other thing I'm kind of hearing, I'm not saying anyone should, you know, maybe head into a very... Un, un, you know unstable political situation but at the same time there is almost if you test yourself and you put yourself in situations where you are tested then subsequent challenges may not seem as big and i yeah. don't know whether there's you sort of watch these movies of the army where they kind of make the basic training so so horrible <laughs> that by the time they actually get to a, a war zone it feels like a picnic you know afterwards compared to the how yeah. horrible basic training is and i I don't say that we all need to become Spartan and sort of, you know, run 20 miles a day on muddy fields, but I don't know if there's maybe sometimes in, in our society we're a little bit too comfortable. Yeah. I think it's also, um, and I think this is something which I've been, I've been, how I've been raising my kids and what I've been teaching my kids. For example, my son is right now in our gym downstairs um, doing his, his fitness routine, even though we just arrived an hour ago. Um, and he was like, oh, I'm, I'm tired. And then he surprises me. He says to me, yep, I'm tired. But this is where the value is. This is where the sweet spot is. When you actually push through the pain threshold, push through the lack of motivation. Once you've done that, and in this particular instance, I've done my hour and a half exercise. That's when I feel the reward of, yay, I'm so happy I've done that. And he then quotes to me. A phrase that I've been, I've been telling them since they were little, which is everything that's worthwhile achieving comes with pain. Mm-hmm. One way or another, if you don't feel any pain, 
you're not achieving anything. So whatever it is, a trivial little task like, now I, I need to keep to my fitness routine today, um, or something in a completely different magnitude, of a completely different magnitude. I still believe that there's no, if you don't feel any pain, you don't achieve anything, really. Yeah, and I agree with that. And it's it's interesting you say that because it kind of leads into, I did a, a podcast the other, the other week about choose your hard. So going to the gym is hard, but then being overweight is also hard. So exactly. <laughs> choose your hard. Everything's, everything has a consequence. But not only that, that kind of link to artificial intelligence and this kind of, you know, it's very easy now to write an essay, you know, write yeah. an essay on this, send. But actually the the, the output isn't, the aim it's the process and the pain of yes. being in your stretch zone so yeah. the answer you know if you could wait if everyone could wave or take a, a tablet or a pill or something and become and instantly have six packs and look amazing then it wouldn't the value would go because everyone could do it but exactly. that, i look at the kind of the, the youtube generation so like the ksis and the logan pauls that they're, they're sort of they've got everything they're young they're fit they've got as much money in the world and they could do anything. So what are they doing? They're doing boxing because it's the one place you can't hide. <laughs> You're in a ring where someone's trying to take your head off. So you have to, there's pain there. So the people who have everything, they're putting themselves in painful situations, in my view, because they want to prove themselves and they want to test themselves, which maybe if you go back to the essence of what it means to be human, there might be that might be part of the journey of what becoming human is. I don't know. I don't know what your thoughts are. I'm going very deep very quickly. No, I'm not at all. I, I think if if we don't have anything left to conquer, if we don't have anything left to prove, if we don't have any anywhere left to go to to show to ourselves that we were better now than we were a month ago or a year ago, we're not human. We're becoming a different species. Um and I I don't know what what human species and human race will will remain for the next i don't know 500 years hopefully if not more um i'm sure that we will i think the border of knowledge and the frontier of knowledge and achievement will continuously be put upward and onwards in which way and how i don't know but i think if we don't have something left to achieve we, we can only do through some degree of pain we will not be human anymore. We will be robots. Then that will be the end of, of our history. Yeah. But I, I think, think that, also... Yeah. So uh, thinking about, you know, what else do we actually learn through going through listening to the instincts in key moments and then having the ability to analyze and having gone through a very dramatic, and we all have our own version of dramatic events. It doesn't have to be historical dramatically dramatic events, but we all have dramatic events in our life. And one of the benefits of going getting through is that with the fullness of time, what do we actually do thinking back? We realize that I might face a problem now that I have no idea how I'm going to solve it now. But because I've gone through pain and a number of times in a number of different situations and I've come through at the other end, I just know that I will find a way. Yeah. So that I believe this is one benefit. And then the other benefit, and I will tell you a, a little anecdote to, to illustrate the other benefit. I was working at Deutsche Bank and I've been there a number of years. I don't know. There was a particular difficult project, difficult problem that um, we were, myself and my team were trying to solve. And I was having a discussion with my boss and his boss and, I don't know, a debate. How are we going to solve this? How are we going to do this? And I don't remember the specifics, but I do remember I was batting for one particular way of solving that particular problem. And as we were debating and coming up with pros and cons, um, the other two solutions put on the table on the table seems to fade in to my mind in that I did not believe they were optimal. So my support of solution A, let's call it, was stronger and stronger and stronger. And at some point, one of one of my bosses said, uh, yeah, but did some senior guy in a different team that we needed to interact with and we needed to, to, to bring across um, it's not gonna. It's not gonna sign on to this. 
And my response was, well, how do you know? Let me try. How do you know? I'll make him sign on to this. And the other boss said to, to the first boss, let's listen. You do know that Krina climbed Russian tanks and threw one lot of cocktails the Russian tanks. Do you really think she's going to be scared of Mr. X anymore? <laughs> <laughs> it's so true. It's so true. And I said, you're absolutely spot on. Let me work on Mr. X, whatever the name was. Yeah. I'll bring him on. And if I fail, I fail. But why should I be afraid? This We're talking about a corporate, corporate world situation. And somehow I should feel afraid. No, I'm not afraid. I might be annoyed. Mm. I might be frustrated, of course. But I'm not afraid. What should I be afraid of? That I lose my job? Well, I'll get another job. So afraid is a different category of feeling, which I was not, I was not willing to sign on. So this particular anecdote is also showing me and, and I've been I've been thinking about it and I've been using that, telling myself this, reminding myself of this of this event. Every time when you might I might have faced something with some anxiety and like and, and overthinking stuff, I reminded myself, well, get a grip, girl. You've been into that. You know, just just put this particular latest blip into the historical perspective. Mm. It will be it will be fine. Um, so I think this is the other benefit of actually um, going through some pain and facing some some severe adversity. It's not only the sense of achievement, but it's also the lesson. And it's also the lesson learned, which often says, I have no idea how I'm going to deal with this or how I'm going to solve it, but I'm sure I'll find a way. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And it's what's really interesting in looking at some of the psychology stuff is that if what I've seen is that the human brain can't determine between danger. And so there's this link that if, you know, if someone is like uh, abusive to you or, um, you know, verbally attacks you, you have the same, the evidence is showing you have the same psychological response. If you're in mortal danger, like, you know, the blood rushes from your brain, you know, you're kind of, you get ready to fight or flight, but your so your body prepares itself, but it's not actually in, sort of mortal danger so you you kind of your almost your barometer of of danger kind of gets twisted yeah so this kind of like you, you know, i'm not saying anyone needs to go into a conflict zone to get this but there's lots of opportunities you know through different organizations like you know sports or whatever but everyone has their own different thing but somewhere where you can actually find your limit and actually think i you know i'm not that fragile <laughs> you know you can then so and then when you when you when you're back in that situation again, like you say, you've got something to put the barometers in next to it. It's like on the scale of being in a building, you know, in the middle of Romania during a revolution and presenting to Mister X. On the barometer of sphere, this is about a two on on a scale of ten. Yeah. <laughs> but for someone else who's never been that, that scale of two is the scale of ten. So something presenting to Mister X is a ten, and so. Yeah. It's just really interesting, isn't it? The human capacity and ability is you don't know what you can do until you've been tested. And I suppose I'm kind of going in a big circle with back to, you know, what your son is doing at the moment. If you don't push your if you don't push yourself, how how will you ever know how far you can go? Yes, and how and what will be your reference point? Yeah. Face, facing any adversity that without a shadow of a doubt, everybody faces. Um Surely you have we have to have the ability to identify certain challenges and and to within our own system of reference to be able to scale them as accurate as we can. We can't scale everything as a 10, which is what we would do if, if we have if we have zero experience, if we have zero zero uh, obstacles that we have and barriers that we have broken. Yeah. And and I think I think as 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 you accumulate um let's call them um, little victories bigger victories uh, as we overcome certain obstacles i think our 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 individual system of reference becomes becomes better attuned to the real magnitude of what is in front of us mm. um i think also it's it's a lot to be said 
And this is another thing that I keep saying to the kids, you know, in life, very often success or lack of comes with timing as well, in the sense of there is a huge benefit in my mind of doing doing what you have to do at the right in the right period of your of your life. In the sense of if you dedicate your your young years only to a narcissistic um, sense of uh, having a party and and having fun, um, that's something that you can never go back and and do again. So while I'm always an advocate for fun and for parties and for laughter, but I think having the discipline to allocate your time and to divide that divide your time and have a fairly firm frontier between today I'm going to dedicate to this particular thing or this week. Saturday I'm going to go party. Mm. And that day is going to be so much sweeter because I know I'm true to myself and Monday to Friday I worked my behind off and I've done what I've what I put myself my mind to do. Um, doing your your studies and and not allowing the avalanche of youthful impressions and sentiments and hormones to completely overtake you. Building the foundation for your future when you have the energy, when you have the enthusiasm, and also when you have a significant lack of fear as well. This is why if you look in in throughout history, most revolutions, if not every single one of them, in this world, well, quite frankly, have whichever ones have been successful or failed, but depends on which side you're looking at. But every success in every political or historical revolution, um, the, the younger generation have been behind it. Why? Mm. Because of you are at an age when you're still very idealistic. You believe that you can, inf- if not change the world, but definitely influence it. You have the energy, you have the desire to prove that you are somebody, to prove that you can you can do something. So it's a lot to be said, I I believe, in doing the right things at the right time as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, the the younger years are absolutely phenomenal because so much can be done and is done. Um, which will shape and influence and lead lead you for the rest of your life as well. Yeah, that's very similar. My my uh, my father's um, it's full of like wise words, but his 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 one of the things he says is you can do anything at any point, but it's easier to do your education when you're young. Yeah, and it's it's easier to explore, push your horizons, try business ventures, go traveling. You know, in your in your teens and 20s yeah you can also have a family in your teens and 20s as well but it's easier once you found yourself so you can do anything at any point but there are some times where it's easier it's easier to you know to do certain things in your life and it's um some people do it the right some not there's a right way or wrong way some people do the easy way some people do the hard way but everyone's on their own journey um but it's like you say if you're going to change the world it's easier to do that when you're young you've got the energy (laughs) a bit older I think this is uh, this is the truth. Um, then, of course, the other side of the coin is also true because as you as you advance through your years, you, someone or one would like to think that you accumulate experience, and let's dare and even call it wisdom. <laughs> mm. Although you know, let's not go into debate much debate because that might be episode three. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, so I think I think part of part of the role of being a parent is not only to still have the energy to raise your kids and play with your kids and do the sports with your kids and so on, but also uh, have the wisdom and the experience to share with them. And for example, me telling, recounting the story I have to share with you tonight to my kids when they're old enough to appreciate, and I don't know, going and showing some pictures and going through some documents. And as they grew a bit older, maybe a different different type of experience which I shared with mm. them specific circumstance. So that's what I mean by wisdom. I meant life's wisdom. Yeah. Uh, but there you go. Uh, no, thank you very much, Krina. That's that is absolutely brilliant. And I think well thank you again for the time um today. No problem. I enjoyed very much so. 
it's brilliant it's absolutely brilliant to hear that experience and there's so much so much to pull out of of what we've just talked about in terms of you know testing yourselves listening to your gut instinct um trusting yourself um recognizing that nothing good comes without some kind of sacrifice or some kind of pain um and yeah it's just been yeah a fantastic fantastic session so thank you very much Karina again um and I look again hopefully we might even get an episode three but I look forward to again speaking to you very soon yes thank you Joe take care thank-